joining us here or online. We're excited to worship Jesus this morning. Oh, 
who knows what a day may bring forth. So I want to give you just a little bit of up-to-date news so you understand what's happening. Um, as much as the Lord provides, we have no intention of ever shutting down the Sunday morning worship service. Um, we'll, do, uh, we'll find a way to make that happen. But then there are other things that happen that we can't respond to quite as quickly. And uh, our team and volunteers, different settings, different reasons, um, have some issues that uh, they need to take care of. And I'm sure you're aware that if one person in the family um, test positive for COVID, that's supposed to be a two-week quarantine. And we've also drawn a line for our uh, volunteers and leaders that if you're symptomatic in any fashion, that you stay home. We're just trying to make sure. So that all hit us at once. And so let's hope it's over with. And uh, pray for our country. And let's keep loving Jesus while let's do the work of him who sent us while it's day. For the night's going to come when no man shall work. So we've got a lot of things that are happening right now and appreciate your support. So back to the uh, medical update, health update. That For that reason, there's no filling station this week, no promise line this week, and no teen Bible quiz this evening, and no kids rehearsals. Uh, just we had a number of volunteers that were out, families that were out because of kids, and uh, we're just going to keep marching and believe for healing. Amen? <laughs> that was a whimper. That wasn't an amen. Amen. Well, this is the Sunday that we celebrate Veterans Day. And I want to take a moment to say thank you to the men and women who have been willing to serve, uh, to put their lives on the line in many cases so that we could continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with all of our foibles and problems as a nation, I am still proud to be an American and thankful for the military forces that keep us safe. Amen. Anybody agree with me? So each year to recognize veterans, we select a veteran, not that that particular individual um, is has achieved higher than others, but to represent all veterans. You know, the line is, some uh, all gave some and some gave all, and we want to take time to acknowledge those who have served. So if you have served, if you're a veteran this morning, whether in the main, uh, here in the main auditorium or in the North Chapel, would you just stand so that we can acknowledge you, have our veterans stand this morning? We have some veterans. Come on, give it up for our veterans. We're proud of you. We're glad for all of you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your service. This morning, we're going to honor Ann Rose Wilson. So, Ann Rose, if you would come to the platform, if you would do that, please. Thank you. As she's coming, I have a quote from her, and then we'll acknowledge uh, her service. She said, I joined the USAR Nurse Corps as a critical care nurse as a first lieutenant. I was mobilized to Germany for a year. I was appointed as a company commander for the HSC, HHC headquarters and headquarters company here in Des Moines. I am honored to serve and to continue to serve the American people. Thank you, Major Wilson and Rose. Come on up to the platform if you would. Give her one more expression of appreciation. The following are Ann Rose's uh, um, awards, the Army Accommodation Medal, the Army Achievement Medal, the Army Reserve Component Achievement, the National Defense Service Medal, 
uh, Global War on Terrorism Service Medal, the Armed Forces Reserve Medal, Army Services Ribbon, and Overseas Ribbon. So again, one more time, give your expression, would you? So Anne Rose, with, with appreciation and gratitude, Berean Assembly of God recognizes the sacrifice and faithful service of Anne Rose Wilson in the U.S. Army presented this 8th day of November, 2020. God bless you. Thank you for your service. And I am not supposed to shake your hand, but let's do an elbow bump, all right? All right. God bless you. One more time for Anne Rose. Thank you, Anne Rose. We're appreciated. I mean that sincerely for those who are willing to serve so that we can enjoy our freedoms. Amen. I appreciate our military men and women. Uh, one announcement this Wednesday, we heard last week a five-minute window from Mike Williams, who is serving as a foreign representative, that we are engaged with um, the uh, ministry opportunities that he has will be here this Wednesday night. The other programs at this point are scheduled to happen, and they're scheduled to, uh, but pay attention to the announcements, and uh, the uh, Bible study will be a presentation from Mike Williams in regard to their um, activities overseas. You'll want to be here and be a part of that um, and hear their story. Well, we're in Nehemiah chapter 10 this morning, and I want you to watch this video. It's an older quote, but one I just felt like was appropriate for this morning. Part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of His. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My presence makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, quantity, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer and labor by power. My pace is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way rough, my companions few, my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes down for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. Amen, amen, amen. The challenge of being a disciple of Jesus Christ in crazy world conditions. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 10. And the final stage of Ezra's internal reforms 
is being entered into in this last part of the book. So again, Ezra, um, the return under Zerubbabel, second half of Ezra, the return under Ezra, Nehemiah, the return under Nehemiah, and then at the end of Nehemiah, Ezra returns to deal with the growth and development of the spiritual life of the people of God. And again, I want to emphasize the premise that what God does in the house of God isn't complete until it reaches the walls of the city. But once it reaches the walls of the city, the church has a responsibility to maintain their spiritual health and strength and vibrancy to be the voice and force that God intends for the church to be. Now, I know there's a lot happening and you have a lot of emotions over the election and what's happening and what will happen and what will go on from there. But let me tell you some things that have not changed. Jesus said, I will build my church. Come on, help me this morning. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We're to be a light in the dark place as well as a voice in the light place. We are a city set on a hill. Our light is to be seen around the world and this is a time for the church to continue to move forward in the face of adversity, whether it is medical pandemic or uncertain times in government. Jesus is still Lord. He is still on the throne. God the Father is still in charge and we can trust him. And if there's ever been a time that the church needs to be committed to the work of God, it's the hour that we live in. It's the times that we're a part of. Chapter 8 anchored the nation to the word of God. Chapter 9 separated the nation from the ways of the world. And in chapter 10, they enter into a commitment. It's expounded upon from the commitment they made in the end of chapter 9. The full commitment is articulated in chapter 10. And they're so serious about that that they are bound with a curse. Now, I'm going to expound on that or expand on that a little bit later. And you may not agree with my message this morning. And how many of you already know that I'm okay with that? All right. So I'm going to challenge you a little bit about our language, the things we say, and the things that we believe. But here's what I know at the onset. I know that all things work together for good to them that love God, who are called according to his purposes. Here's what else I know. If God be for me, who can be against me? And I'm going to talk a little bit about that later just to warm you up a bit. That sometimes Christians are way too worried about what the devil is doing and not nearly as focused on what Jesus is doing. And our focus needs to be on Jesus and what he's doing in our lives and in our world. The end of chapter 9 is a commitment that they enter into. Chapter 10 fleshes that out. So beginning in verse 1, I want you to follow along. I want us to anchor to the text. I want us to look first at the covenant signers, the ones who signed it. It starts off with the signing of 22 priests who have signed the covenant and affixed their seals to it. It cannot be overstated that leaders need to lead the way. It's not enough to point the way. Now, I will readily and freely admit 
that I have never felt that I was a leader who could say, come up where I am because I've achieved. That's not what I mean by leading the way. For me, it is, I see the goal, I'm striving for it, I may stumble along the way, but will you join me and walk with me while we try to get to the top of the mountain? And if leaders aren't going to engage in that process, you can't expect anything positive to flow out of that. What do you mean by leaders? I expect the pastoral staff here to be tithers, to be givers, to be sharing their faith, to be seeking the face of God. I expect all of our board members and leaders in the church to do the same. But let's think of it a little bit further. Dad, your family, you cannot expect your family to go where you won't go. Parents who, listen to me, parents, and I know it's none of you, but you could share this with somebody who needs to hear it. Parents who send their children to church rather than taking their children to church are setting their children up for spiritual failure. God may still reach them and they may still come out of that, but it will be in spite of your leadership, not because of it. And dads need to lead in spiritual growth and development. If I knew how to play, I'd amen myself over here. Please do not bring your children to promised land or filling station and never ask them what they learned. You need to engage that. Don't bring them on Wednesday. <laughs> uh, it's just us, right? Can I just be relaxed this morning? Don't bring them on Wednesday and then go get coffee. Because you're telling them, you're dropping them off on the babysitter, not that you value what they're going to learn and experience. We have to, dads, we have to do this together. Come on, amen me, somebody. Or I'll just stay here for the rest of the morning. Mom's the same for you. I believe that the dad is to be the head of the house, but it's often been said jokingly that the, the wife is the neck that turns the head. How many of you know that? I talked to a friend of mine this week and he was driving, uh, <laughs> he was driving nine hours to get a puppy. And I said, why in the world are you driving nine hours to get a puppy? He said, well, I had another plan. We're meeting with family. Family's going to pick the dog up. We'd be over there in a couple weeks and get it. And then he said to me, don't kid yourself. You don't wear the pants in your family any more than I do. <laughs> my wife decided wanted it now, and so I went to get it. And I said, my wife gives me permission to wear the pants in my family. <laughs> now, I'm joking about that a bit because it's not a clear line of who's the boss or who's in charge. It's a husband and wife as one. That's the biblical model and together leading their household. And I believe that there's a specific role of nurturing and loving an atmosphere that's created by mom that can't be created any other way. And in single family households, I get that. You have to compensate for that. And I know that God will bless that. But we're talking about the ideal, the ideal uh, paradigm this morning Morning, and that is that dads lead the way, moms lead the way, and that families are led into the things of God. 
You're a leader in the community in some fashion or other. Someone listens to you. You're a leader on the job in some fashion. Somebody listens to you. And we need to steward that responsibility and lead the way in our spiritual growth and development. Leaders have to lead the way. Come on, is there anyone here this morning? We're only half of us in attendance or less, so you're going to have to shout for two. (laughs) Then the Levites sign it. These are ministry positions, workers in the church. It matters what the spiritual commitment of church workers, what their commitment is. It matters the kind of commitment that we enter into. Remember, they're talking about redeeming the city and they're committing themselves to spiritual growth. I appreciate people who do what they say they're going to do. That are that are going to be there when they say they're going to be there. That are going to serve when they say they're going to serve. Hello? It's talking about commitment to your ministry role. We will follow through on what we've been asked to do. I had a member in our church that was a choir director when we were pastoring for a few years. And I'll never forget what he told me about excuses. He said, some people think a good excuse is the same as doing the job. How many know it's not? If my wife is preparing supper and she is a wonderful cook, and I look forward to that, there are some days I just hope to make it home to the supper table. You know, just, I don't even care what it is, just something on the table. But if I came in and she said, oh, I've been busy and had to work late and, and, um, and, and I, I just I, I, and gave me a whole list of excuses. Do you know that however legitimate they are, I'm still hungry? Right. Hello? Right. <laughs> Having a legitimate excuse isn't the same <clears throat> as getting the job done. The Levites were saying, we're going to fulfill our responsibility. I'm so thankful for volunteers here that that you don't have to worry if they're going to show up when they say they're going to show up. They do their job. They're there. I walked in this morning and I thought, we have some leaders that are missing. Oh, someone should have opened the building. Someone needed to turn on the lights. All these things that normally get done. And I walked in. And it was all done as though no one were missing. Do you know what that is? Volunteers who take their job seriously and find a way to get it done. Hello? We're talking about commitment. They signed it in chapter 9. We're going to do what we said we're going to do. We're going to follow through with our strength. And then verse, uh, as it goes on through, there's 22 priests, 17 Levites, and 44 civic Leaders, Wouldn't it be wonderful to have 44 civic leaders in Des Moines that love Jesus with all their heart? Amen. <laughs> Maybe there are. Maybe there are. But, 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 but I think they'd have bigger impact. <laughs> I'm having a little fun with you, and it looks like I'm the only one having fun. <laughs> Under Israel, the form of government was a theocracy. It was a government ruled by God. We don't live in a theocracy, and I understand that. But I'm telling you that for a nation to be strong, for a state to be strong, for a city to be strong, there have to be men and women who are committed to their faith. In the secular realm, we need voices out in the secular realm that are letting their voice be heard. So who are the covenant signers? 
You have the spiritual leaders. You have spiritual volunteers. You have civic leaders all around the community that are willing to say, we're in. We're signing it. We're putting our name on the line. We'll get it done. I, and um, can I just meddle a little bit? I've been trying not to. But there's a mystery. I, 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 just a mystery. It's a mystery to me. Maybe you can solve this mystery for me. But it's one that I've wrestled with my entire ministry history. And that is, why do people say yes on a membership application that they will do something and then never do it? Why would you do that? Why would you say, I'm, I want to be a member of the church and I will tithe my income and then never give? Oh, because I give cash. Oh, listen, if I count all the people who give cash and all the cash that comes in, it doesn't add up. <laughs> Hello, it doesn't add up. So I'm not upset. It's just, I think if I'm going to say something, how do you think if I'm going to say something and put my name to it, I ought to do it. All right. Well, I'm sorry you have to carry the whole load this morning. Normally there's people to help you. The covenant signers. Now, in verse 29, the terms of the covenant are expressed. Look at verse 29. All now join their fellow Israelites and nobles and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, a servant of God, to obey carefully all the commands and regulations and, and decrees of our Lord. Do you hear what they just said? We're binding ourselves with a curse and with an oath. Now, I promise you I won't unpack this fully, but I want to give you a framework to deal with the word curse because that terrifies people. The next time you hear about witches or Satanists putting a curse on you, don't even give it attention. Why? Because I'm a child of God covered by the blood and the devil can't get to me um, unless Jesus allows a battle that ultimately he will win. We have this idea that there are forces out there that can put a, this evil force into place. So they sacrifice a cat and they do something under the moon and then there's this evil force that's going to get you. Let me talk to you about that. Any demonic activity is a work of demon spirits, not of an impersonal curse. And if you submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Yeah. I learned that early in ministry. I'm trying to remove what the curse is not. What this curse is not. It's not asking for a demonic attack. First church I pastored, and Mike, I don't know if you were out there that night that we had that burning and 
burned the Bible and burned posters. I don't know if you were there that night. But we had a, a night where a young man had given his life to Jesus, had been involved in Satanism, and the reason he came to see me was he put a curse or a spell on someone and saw it come to pass. All that is is demonic attack, and you have authority over that. He came in and said, I want to get rid of all of this. And we had in the fire, we got a fire going out on the property. And we burned a satanic Bible and, we, and he brought his Ozzy Osbourne poster. Somehow I thought that was demonic. <laughs> and all of his stuff and we piled it. By the way, I understand there's a difference between witchcraft and Satanism, but he didn't know there was a difference and it's all from the same source. So we are... We're burning. This is one of my favorite memories. We're burning all of that. And there's a group of about 10 guys standing out there with him. And we're praying for God's deliverance over his life. And while we're praying, the smoke blew right up in my face. Well, I don't like to breathe smoke. So I moved over to the other side. So if I was standing on the north, I moved to the east. And then the wind changed and blew it in my face. So then I moved to the south, and then the wind changed and blew it in my face. Then I moved to the west, and the wind changed and blew it in my face. And I said, devil, if that's all you got, because I'm not going to fear him. So we got done with that. We walk away. Now, this fire had been burning for a while. And, oh, and I didn't tell you, we were singing that old hymn called Victory in Jesus. I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came. How many know the song? Victory in Jesus. We're singing that together and the smoke's blowing. We're done. We've prayed. I'm walking away. Next thing I know, there's about four guys beating me on my shoulders and head and back. I thought the devil got him. I didn't know what was going on. What had happened that I didn't see is somehow that Ozzy Osbourne poster hadn't burned yet. It was on fire. It lifted up out of the fire, followed me across the yard, and landed on my head and shoulders. And they knocked it off me and stomped out the fire. So what do you think about that? I think greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Come on, help me this morning. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And he attacks in other ways. I'm not demeaning or diminishing his attacks. But I am fed up with this idea that we need to fear what witches or Satanists or others are doing, casting spells. There is nothing in scripture that gives any credibility to a demonic spell. There's nothing. What there is with the word curse is the judgment of God. That's what you need to fear. The judgment of God. How many are with me this morning? I know this is a little more teaching, but I really think in the days are ahead, we're going to need to understand the difference. Let the witches fast all they want. Just get yourself full of the Holy Spirit and walk in the power of God and let's drive the devil and the darkness back in the name of God. Of Jesus. So what are they saying? If that they're not inviting demonic activity, they're saying we are binding ourselves with an oath to God, and we are recognizing the judgment that will fall on us if we don't keep it. God, we're binding ourselves with a recognition of your judgment. <clears throat> if we don't keep this commitment, we're asking that your judgment fall on us. That's pretty serious business. You know how, how Christians today would pray. God, we've made a commitment to you, and we're going to keep it, but if we fail, we'd like grace. That's not a commitment. That's a cop-out. A commitment says we're binding ourselves with the judgment of God, with a promise to him.
what I'm saying to you is they're serious about this. They're saying today that consumer Christianity is over, that some people will never be back to church, that some people will just continue to do their smorgasbord of online opportunities. But the death of consumer Christianity has had no impact on biblical Christianity. We're still committed to the cause of the king. Hello? We're still committed to the cause of the king. So they're saying we're bound with an oath, we're bound by a curse, we're surrendered to you. Careful obedience, what a powerful commitment. We're called to obey all that Jesus commanded, to obey everything that he has said. That should be the mindset of the child of God. We will assemble together. We will preach the gospel. We will give of our resources. We'll be faithful to the one who has called us. We're going to pursue him. We're going to feed on his word. We're going to be committed to knowing him better. We're going to dig in in our relationship to Christ. That's what they're committing themselves to. If we are going to reach the city, I don't know how to communicate this in a way that, that burns in my heart. If we're going to reach our world, if we're going to reach our community, if we're going to reach our city, we're going to have to be more committed to Jesus Christ than we've ever been in our life. Half-hearted Christianity is not going to make it. Lukewarm Christianity is not going to change. And I told you a week ago, whatever, two weeks ago, I believe the church will be triumphant. I don't know whether it be under freedom or under fire, whether it be under pressure or under peace, but either way, the church will be triumphant. Are we ready to engage in the battle, to dig down deep and commit ourselves no matter what? Wednesday night, we had a wonderful water baptismal service. Those of you that maybe watched it online, but it was, we baptized eight, which is a smaller number for us, but I was so moved watching the ones being baptized. We had, we had two small children, young children, who said, we're going to serve Jesus for the rest of our lives. And I thought, they have no idea what that means. How many of you, when you started following Jesus, had no idea what was going to come your way? But you know what I found? He knew, and he's faithful. We had another testimony openly testifying to us about deliverance from a gay lifestyle and following on after Jesus. We had a person bound by drugs that I think was 116 days sober. We had a senior adult who made the commitment of water baptism. We were all over the map and each one of those I thought, it's worth it to keep following Jesus. He's got a plan for all of us and this world still needs to be reached by people who are committed to follow him all the way, whatever it costs. The day is past to patty cake Christians. The day has come for Christians to dig in and give their all to following Jesus. I'm so tempted to go awry here. But we're in a battle and we need to engage it. So then, what are the covenant commitments? You have the covenant signers and the covenant, ter covenant terms, a curse and oath and careful obedience. Well, let's take a little bit of time then to look at 
the commitments they made. Look at verse 30. We're going to walk through this. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us or take their daughters for our sons. What are they referring to here? Again, I have to emphasize, this is not a racist position or an ethnic statement. It's talking about the nations around them that refuse to serve God. They could become God-fearers or proselyte Jews by joining the Jewish faith. It's talking about those who are living and serving other gods. And we will not allow our sons and daughters to engage in relationships that are going to damage their faith. How many of you know that who you hang out with will shape what you believe? It just will. So then, yes, we need to hang out with people that aren't believers and we need to share faith with them, but we need to be careful that they're not shaping our faith. And they said, we're not going to let it happen. We're not going to let our families get entangled in the ways of the world. I remember saying something as a child that I've not been able to live up to. There are things I heard my parents say that I said I will never say to my kids. How many have heard yourself become your parents? Anybody? I said I will never say to my kids because I said so. I had no idea how irrelevant and incoherent their questions can become. And sometimes the only answer is, I'm paying the bills, you're living in my house, I said so, you don't like it, get a job, but I'm only four. <laughs> because there are certain parameters that my kids were going to live within. Now, they have to make their own choices, and as adults, they can set the course for their life, but while they're in my house, I'm not going to let them entangle with the world. Come on, moms and dads, grandpas, grandmas, help me this morning. Talking about purity of relationships, keeping relationships pure. The first commitment that they make is purity in relationship, preserving the heritage of the next generation. It's a significant challenge that unholy alliances must be rejected. Faith must be primary. Then verse 31 they establish purity in relationships. Then they establish, in verse 31, sanctity in worship. When the neighboring people bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and cancel all debts. The Sabbath was the sign of Jewish faith. And they were saying, we're going to keep worship sacred. So then worship isn't going to be an add-on. I'm going to meddle with you a little bit. I'm just telling you, there's a time coming our roots are going to have to get deeper. When you're trying to figure out how much, how little church you can engage in to have more free time, you haven't sanctified the day. I... I preached a revival for a friend of mine some years ago and we <laughs> it's happened twice now once uh, I preached in a, and Monday night was men's basketball we may as well not have had service that night because they're waiting for me to get done so they could grab their basketball and their shorts and their shoes and go play it was a waste of time because that night wasn't sacred 
it was, it, we had to get it out of the way so we can play basketball. How many are hearing what I'm saying? I've got to get it out of the way so I can hunt. How many are hearing what I'm saying now? I've got to get it out of the way so we can go picnic or go on the boat. How many are hearing what I'm saying now? I'm talking about keeping it sacred that it's priority, that it's primary. There was another night, another friend of mine I preached for. It was Friday night and it was opening of... of um, it was a Sunday morning. Take it back. It was Sunday morning. It was opening of deer season. And you just know that people are really engaged in the service when they come in with their, with their weapons in the rack in their truck and they're all wearing camo. And they smell like deer urine. How many hunters know what I'm talking about? It's like, we may as well not have church this morning because it's not primary. When I'm distracted by other things, the worship service isn't sacred. How many, is anybody hearing me this morning? How many just want me to be done? Don't raise your hand. I'm just telling you, if we're going to reach the city, this has to be serious. There's a moment that I have never forgotten in my growing up years. I look back and I realize when we were in trouble spiritually as a family, we were living in Cedar Rapids. And I knew things weren't going well. It was difficult in our household. Things weren't going well. And I remember my mother saying to us, I don't know what was going on, but she didn't feel like going to church. <clears throat> and she said to us, said to me and my sisters, would it be all right with you if we just didn't go to church this morning? And my first response was, oh yeah. <laughs> That's more goof off time for me. Come on, I was a junior high boy. What do you, you know? My spiritual development wasn't the top of my priority list. Hello? And here's the next thought I had as a junior high boy. It doesn't really matter to you either, or you wouldn't be asking me. Is it okay if we don't go to church today? No, it's not okay. Because the worship service needs to be sacred. Now, if you're sick, I know there are complications. Um, I grew up under the fear that if I skipped church, that surely is when Jesus would return. And I'd be left behind. I don't believe in that kind of manipulation or guilt manipulation. But I do believe that, that church isn't something I do because I want to be a Christian. Church is the assembling together of people of like precious faith to honor the word of God, to honor Jesus, to build ourselves up and to fulfill the calling that he has on our life. They're saying to us, here's what they're saying. We're not going to let anything get in the way of our worship experience. We're not going to let anything get in the way of it. I had a conversation with a friend of mine and it's, it's sort of it's sort of related because your worship experience is all through the year. How many know that? Day by day by day by day. So we were invited to go turkey hunting over in western Iowa and there was a group of us that went and a friend of mine who's a bow hunter had a place where he'd set up his blind and uh, he's the only one really that had a shot. Now he's been a turkey hunter for years and he's a, he's a good uh, uh, um, archer. He's a good shot. This turkey comes out at him at about 30 yards. He's in the blind, draws his bow back and he had sighted it in. This is, and, he, and it bounced off the ground under the turkey. 
the turkey looked around like, what in the world was that? And he moves closer. It moves closer about five yards. He shoots again, it bounces under him. He moves in. It's like he's daring him. Shoot me, shoot me if you can. Five arrows all bounce as he moved closer. The closest one was 15 yards and it bounced under him. How in the world? Well, we found out later that the person who invited us hadn't gotten permission to hunt that property. And he walked away with this understanding, I will not bless what is dishonest, whether you know it or not. Hello? I'm talking about our faith being primary, the driver of our life, that it is sacred, that it's who we are. It's not something we do. It informs everything about us. Um, and we need to, we need to make that. That's, that's what they talk about, sanctity and worship, to focus on that, that it is primary. Everything else is secondary. Then 32 to 39, the whole next section, you know what all those verses are about? It's about money. It's about giving. Because in the Old Testament, they understood, as we understand in the New Testament, that your spiritual life is on display by what you do with your resources. Let's look at this a little bit. 32 to 34, watch what they say. Just watch this with me. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of God, for the bread set on the table, the regular grain offerings, and the burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbath, the new moon, the feast, and at the appointed festivals, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and the duties of the house of God. That's not their tithe. They're saying we assume the responsibility to fund the ministries of the church. It's our responsibility together. They assume the responsibility that the work of ministry continue. That's a commitment to God, putting that at the top of your priority list. Then look at verses 35 to 38. We assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruit of our crops and of every fruit tree. As it's also written in the law, we'll bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle, of our herds, and of our flocks to the house of God, to the, the priests ministering there. Moreover, we'll bring to the storeroom of the house of God, to the priests, the first of the <clears throat> ground meal, the grain offerings, the fruit of all of our trees, the new wine, the oil, olive oil. We'll bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron uh, is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes. And the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of God, to the storerooms of the treasury. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, olive oil to the storerooms where the articles for the sanctuary and the ministry of the priests and the gatekeepers and musicians are also kept. Do you see how many times in there the word tithe was mentioned? I'm not trying to be mean. It's just what it says. <laughs> this may cost me, but people who are serious about God don't fight tithing. People who are serious about God tithe because they realize it's their responsibility to reach the world. It's their responsibility to fund the work of the kingdom. Over and over again, if we're going to reach the city, we're going to have to tithe. 
and not only are we going to have to tithe, the first section is giving offerings above the tithe. What was the Old Testament principle? We're going to pay for the extras and we're going to tithe. We're going to make sure the work of God moves forward. Now, giving is marked by three qualities that I just want you to think about. There's sanctity and worship, faithfulness and finances. Three words that mark giving by committed believers. It's responsible, it's regular, and it's realistic. That marks our giving. Responsible, regular, and realistic. It's biblically based. The handling of your finances is foundational to your spiritual health. So I, I know this wasn't, wasn't a fun ride this morning. But it's a liberating ride. If you understand the dynamics of what it means to be a committed child of God. And my call today from the video that we watched is that we put aside loose living and compromise and excuses and say we're done with that. And I believe that you are. We're done with that. And we're going to give with passion our lives to making a difference for the kingdom. That's what our world needs. Committed people of God who are willing to lay everything else aside and say we will bind ourselves with God's judgment and with our promise to fulfill everything you've asked of us. And you know what you find there when you do that? You find great freedom. You find great freedom. Because the blessing of God, not the curse of judgment, will abide on your life. What a great day to serve Jesus. You can't hide as a Christian anymore. You can't sneak in and sneak out without having to demonstrate what your faith really means. What a day to be a child of God. Would you stand with me? With heads bowed, eyes closed, just for a moment, no one looking around. I, I just want you to let the Spirit of God search your heart. And this morning, if perhaps no one looking around, if perhaps God put his finger on an area of your life that you need to recommit to him, might even just be an attitude in the North Chapel online here in the main auditorium with no one looking around. There's an area. God put his finger on a part of my heart that in the days are ahead, I need to give myself more, more fully to the service of the king. Would you slip up your hand and acknowledge that? Jesus, you see our hands all over this place. We want to follow in the revival of Nehemiah. We want to be fully in, fully engaged, fully committed to the work of your kingdom, knowing that is all that will last. I thank you, God, for what you've spoken to our hearts. And I ask that you'd give us the strength and commitment that we need to move forward in that commitment to honor you in a world of darkness. In Jesus' name. And everyone that loves him said, Amen, amen, amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands this morning. If you love Jesus.